Welcome to ING's Think Aloud, where we try to make sense of the world in the most unbanky way we can. In today's episode. In the new normal, the committee may have to sustain the federal funds rate below the neutral rate for much longer. The resulting expectation of lower for longer interest rates is conducive to increasing risk appetite, reach for yield behavior, and incentives for leverage. This can lead to more cyclical volatility in asset prices. Well, we admit that's not the most unbanky sound bites we've ever played on this podcast, but it is arguably one of the more relevant excerpts from a speech this week by Federal Reserve member Lael Brainerd, and it has important consequences for financial markets. Essentially, Brainerd was conceding that a recent policy change at the Fed could fuel asset bubbles. That's because interest rates are now expected to stay lower for even longer, pushing investors into riskier assets where returns are higher. While Brainerd noted that financial stability is now an explicit part of the Fed's mandate, critics argue that the central bank is actively encouraging a stock market bubble and putting the dollar at further risk. I'm Rebecca Byrne, and today I'm joined by ING's global head of markets, Chris Turner, to find out what the new policy framework really means for the markets. Chris, Brainerd admitted that the Fed's new policy could increase volatility and create asset bubbles, but she also said it's not the Fed's job to fix that with monetary policy. So does this give investors another reason to pile in, given that we know the Fed isn't going to step in and raise rates to deflate it? I think you've probably got to argue that, yes, that is the case. I mean, I think the Fed would admit that this policy shift means they are prepared to run the economy hot. So ideally, what they want inflation to pick up. So inflation-linked assets like uh, commodities, like equities, in theory, should do well. And as Brainard mentioned, it, it really isn't the Fed's job to use monetary policy to try and deflate those bubbles. And I think the Fed was very explicit with these policy changes. It was all about generating broad employment gains and employment being the best measure of inclusive growth. So I think the Fed is very much focused on that for the time being and expects asset bubbles to be handled through macro prudential measures. So perhaps like counter-cyclical capital buffers or increased reserve requirements from policymakers. I know the regulatory environment is very sort of mixed in America, many different bodies have a say, but I think the Fed's saying don't expect us to be tightening rates early just because equities or other asset markets have run too far. It's really a sort of collective responsibility to address it. So just coming back to your first point, well, yes, I think asset managers will say, yeah, we've got a, a rare opportunity here, perhaps over the next couple of years with the economy running hot. Let's look for those asset classes that will benefit in this environment. She was also asked about whether the Fed's new policy puts the dollar at further risk. It's already declined about 10% since March. How much further could it fall, in your view? Yeah, we think these moves have to some degree been telegraphed. The market was expecting the Fed to review its strategy in September. So the, these uh, changing policies come slightly earlier than expected, and the dollar has been falling a little bit ahead of it on the expectations that would occur. But this is a big, sizable shift. And I think it really sets the trends for asset markets and foreign exchange trends throughout 2021. So in the short term, the market's positioned reasonably short dollars already, and perhaps the dollar's not going to fall too much further, and we could get some messy elections and uh, could trigger some position adjustment. But I think another five, maybe even another 10% decline in the dollar through 2021 is, is possible with the Fed preparing to run the economy hot. 
Right. Well, the soft dollar is obviously pretty good news for U.S. multinationals, the big companies, but it's bad news for U.S. the U.S.'s trading partners. Um, and the ECB's chief economist, Philip Lane, said that the appreciation in the euro does really matter for monetary policy. Do you think this is going to be a big theme at the central bank meeting next month? Yes, actually. And those remarks by Philip Lane have been followed up by a source article in the Financial Times uh, today as we discuss this. And um, it certainly seems it's on the uh, ECB's radar. So their uh, concerns will be that a stronger euro will depress inflation. Inflation uh, in the eurozone this month or in August, I think with the first time we saw deflation for the first time in four years. And uh, mechanically, the stronger euro will necessitate the ECB cutting their inflation forecast for 2022. So things definitely on the ECB's agenda, whether they'll take action purely on the back of the euro, perhaps unlikely there are other issues that they will kind of look at, you know, spare capacity in the economy, whether there's a double dip, whether they need to do more. But um, I think it has just started to creep onto the ECB's radar right now. What could they do about it? Would they need to do more than just verbal intervention? Well, at an extreme level, if they felt the euro was so strong and it threatened a rise in inflation, remember they have a target of close to but just under 2%, if it threatened a return to those levels of inflation, they could cut rates or more likely add to their kind of QE program, their asset purchase program. So they could be doing that later in the year. Obviously, in extreme case, um, you've got FX intervention that goes on, but with a big liquid currency, a major trading partner in the world with global responsibilities, FX intervention to slow the pace of your currency's move is very much frowned upon, particularly by Washington, looking at their currency manipulation report. And I think unilateral intervention to the weaken the euros near impossible in the current political environment. Now, you've just changed your forecast on euro dollar for the end of 2021, but not for 2020. What's the reasoning behind this? Yeah, well, one of the issues is, as I say, like positioning. Um, so the market is as long euros as it was right at the start of 2018. That's right before the trade war broke out and really curtailed the whole kind of euro rally. So Positioning is very extreme and we are going into, say, an uncertain environment running up to November presidential elections. I mean, part of the euro rally has been on the V-shape, the cyclical recovery story. It certainly has been a, an open economy, dining out onto the world trade and recovery prospects. It's done well. If those recovery prospects either get hit through reaction to second waves or e.g. like a contested US election where policy gridlock in the States probably won't be good for asset markets, then I think that's probably enough to keep us around 120 into year end. But for 2021, as I say, I think the dollar environment should be a clean negative and the euro should have plenty of room to appreciate. Well, the weakness in the dollar has also pushed cable higher, hasn't it? Sterling is close to 135 against the dollar. But you've got Scotland talking about a new referendum on independence. The Brexit transition period is nearly coming to an end. Is cable vulnerable at these levels? Yes, we'd probably say so. We think there's probably an assumption out there that there's a last minute deal to be struck regarding uh, the UK's uh, relationship with the EU. But Sterling doesn't seem to be factoring that in for the time being. So we think even though global investors are very much underweight UK equities at the moment and 
you know, waiting for a, a positive story to emerge. We think it's too early to play that with so many uncertainties. So we probably expect a bit more brinkmanship between both the UK and the EU. Perhaps instead of a, a deal being done by October, that gets delayed. So that period of uncertainty, I think, probably means sterling shouldn't be leading the charge against the dollar. And in fact, it had done very well in, in August. So we could see perhaps cable handing back its gains and dropping back to the 129 area, euro sterling moving back up to 91, something like that. Political news has also been driving the Japanese yen recently following the resignation of Shinzo Abe. Is that likely to have any long-term impacts on the currency? It depends, of course, who takes over from Abe. And all indications so far are that Cabinet Secretary Sugar should take over and um, they've worked very closely together since 2012 so I think there will be a continuity of policies there which are trying to provide fiscal stimulus and obviously relying on a, a BOJ to keep ultra loose policy so that initially when RB came in was quite a yen negative but we would so probably the political continuity isn't going to impact the yen too much but we think that dollar yen should participate in the broad dollar decline particularly if the risk environment were to become more difficult into November elections. So we see dollar yen probably pressing the 102 area, relatively low by dollar yen standards into year end. Okay, we've talked a lot about the soft dollar today, but there are, there are currencies that are booking the trend and actually weakening against the dollar, particularly in emerging markets. Does that provide some relief to them during the pandemic? Uh, yes, Rebecca, I think you're probably referencing a, a comment that Rob Carnell uh, wrote recently. And his point, I think it's a very kind of good point, is that this benign external environment allows perhaps a little bit of leeway for some interesting, shall we say, policies from some emerging market nations. So one policy under scrutiny at the moment is what's going on in Indonesia, where the uh, Indonesian central bank is buying government bonds at a discounted rate directly from the government direct deficit financing which i think the market is wondering whether this emerging market is pushing it a bit too hard really with this these creative new policies and uh, the indonesian rupee has started to underperform so there probably is some wiggle room with like emerging market policy because of the at the moment benign external environment but you still you will have investors watching very closely that policies are sustainable and credible. And uh, at the margin, um, some of those are starting to come into question. Okay, Chris Turner, ING's Head of Markets, thanks very much. Thank you, Rebecca. This podcast has been prepared by ING solely for information purposes, irrespective of a particular user's means, financial situation or investment objective. The information does not constitute investment recommendation, nor is it investment, legal or tax advice or an offer or solicitation to purchase or sell any financial instrument. Read more at think.ing.com slash content disclaimer.